the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm here with Alexis Linkletter. Happy Friday once again. I hope you're having a good day, and I hope you enjoy having these little bonus episodes right in your feeds on Fridays. Yeah, absolutely. And we have something so special for all of you today. So we have today for this episode dedicated to Jessica Taylor. We have Jessica's cousin with us to share more about Jessica. Um, There's a lot of misinformation out there about Jessica Taylor. And her cousin Jasmine is here with us to not only set that information straight, but also just share about Jessica, stuff that no one's ever heard before. So we're really honored to have her here today. We hope you're enjoying these Friday episodes dedicated to each victim of the Long Island serial killer. They were people. These women need to be remembered, honored, revered, and that's what we're doing today. This is the third of 10 bonus episodes that we are giving you for these 10 weeks. And for seven more weeks, we're going to be releasing a new bonus episode every Friday. So in each episode, we are going to cover the life of a victim of the Long Island serial killer. And if you're not sure who the Long Island serial killer is, we have got you covered. Go back and listen to our three-part deep dive on LISC right now. It should be available for you in your feeds. And If you were a member of our Patreon, it would have been available all three episodes for you to listen to right away and binge if you are a type of binger, because I'm a binger. I want to listen to everything at once. I don't want to wait. So that's what Patreon gives you. You can binge whatever you want. So we promise these bonus episodes are going to make way more sense when you finish those three full length episodes. Absolutely. Because by that point, you'll have learned that Lisk, like most serial killers, targeted sex workers. And The purpose of all of this is to spread awareness not only about this case, but to also help stop violence against sex workers. So we've partnered with the amazing jewelry brand Jimmy Toast for a fundraising and awareness raising campaign. And the designer behind Jimmy Toast, her name's Jamie. She's from Long Island. We've known each other since grade school, and she's handcrafted 10 beautiful necklaces inspired by and in honor of each Long Island serial killer victim. And these necklaces are available for purchase at theheavymetalproject.com. And they coincide, the release of each necklace coincides with each of these very special episodes dedicated to the memories of each victim. So for example, the the necklace this week will be named the Jessica Taylor because this weekend's bonus episode is dedicated to Jessica Taylor. And um, she really, Jamie really did spend a lot of time finding elements that related to and connected with the real attributes of these victims. And I think it's it was a really beautiful, cool thing to do. Yeah. I really love how she designed everything. It took a lot of thought and a lot of Yeah, you know, she really, she really did. Yeah. So 100% of the net profits from these necklaces are going to the Sex Workers Outreach Project or SWAP. We talk about it a bunch. It's a nonprofit dedicated to the fundamental rights of people in the sex trade. So it's pretty easy to support by a necklace and support sex workers' rights. It's a win-win for everybody. So that is the heavymetalproject.com to get the Jessica Taylor necklace and to support SWAP. So we know that, you know, not everybody can make a purchase right now and can buy a necklace, but if you can pass the link to somebody else, you never know who would want to support 
they're beautiful necklaces. They can make a great birthday idea or gift idea. So, you know, go pass it around. That's but right. for now, let's get to know Jessica Taylor. So what was Jessica Taylor like? We're going to leave that question to be answered by Jessica's cousin, Jasmine. She was so spunky. You know, the first, when I think about her, the first thing I think about is her eyes. She had the most beautiful eyes. She had the biggest smile. Like it just lit up her face. She was just always happy. Like I just remember her always being happy. You know, we didn't know, maybe we didn't grow up with that much, but we didn't know we were kids. We had fun. And she was just really special. So what about Jessica's childhood? One reason why Jasmine really wanted to speak with us for this episode is because there's been a lot of false information and false narratives that have circulated online and through other media that she really wants to set the record straight on. So we're going to let her take that away. Like I said, I think that people who who work on this case, you know, for their own reasons, they they almost have this sense of ownership over the victims, even over the family at some point. And I've dealt with some pretty crazy things. I've had some people put up, you know, fake narratives of her and I begged them to take them down and had to fight for that, you know, things like that. Recently, um, there was a site that had put up a write-up of her and I asked them to take it down and they asked me to provide sources. I was like, I am the source. It's wrong. You need to take it down. There's a, you know, there's a narrative out there. What really got me, um, into working on this case as much as I have now um, and speaking out publicly is because I noticed that there was this narrative that she was estranged and, you know, her family didn't want her or she wasn't loved. And that was so opposite of the case. She's so loved. She's so missed. It was the fact that her, the grief of losing her was so profound that nobody felt like they could speak out. And, you know, everybody handles things differently. She's still loved. She's still missed. Her mother loves her. She always did. She was never in foster care. That was something else I read about a year ago. That was never true. She had a lot of people who loved her. Friends, family. Um, she had a tough childhood. We all did. Uh, but we spent, we grew up together. She was the same age as my sister. They're eight years older than me. So we would spend weekends together either at our house or at her house. We both had single mothers, so they they leaned on each other a lot. Everybody's family is perfect. You know, everybody has skeletons in their closet. Everybody has a couple of relatives that maybe don't have, you know, their screws wrapped too tight or whatever the case is. Nobody comes from a perfect home. Jasmine's right. Nobody's family is perfect. But what is perfect are a lot of the childhood memories that Jasmine shared with Jessica. I, one time we went to the carnival and her and my sister convinced me that their popcorn was grown up popcorn. I wasn't allowed to have it. You know, like they would just do little stuff like that, but they were just, she was just always smiling. She always had her hair done. We always had a lot of fun. Um, she was, she was a light. She could double Dutch. I remember her teaching me how to double Dutch. She would teach us how to do the Tootsie Roll. She could dance. Oh, it was so funny. And um, we just had a lot of good times together. And I'm grateful for that. The last time I saw her, I wish I would have hugged her harder, but I didn't know. 
And I, I kick myself for that, but I have to remind myself I didn't know when I was a child and I thought I was going to see her again. No, of course Jasmine didn't know, and she couldn't have known that a monster was going to steal the life of her cousin. On July 26 of 2003, seven years before anyone knew the Long Island serial killer even existed, and 44 miles away from Gilgo Beach, a woman was walking her dog on an access road near Manorville, New York. And that's where she made a terrifying discovery, and a heartbreaking one. Human remains. It was clear that this was a homicide, and it was also clear that whoever did this went through great lengths to make sure their victim could not be identified. They did so by dismembering the remains. And the most identifiable parts, like the head and the hands, were not present at the scene of this discovery. In addition to all of that, the killer had also systematically sliced apart a unique tattoo that was placed on the victim's back. But fortunately, the police were able to recreate this tattoo. And so when the police were able to reconstruct the tattoo, they realized that it was a red heart inscribed with the words Remy's Angel. And Remy is spelled R-E-M-Y. And luckily for us, we have Jasmine here to shed some light on this Remy situation, who Remy is, and the significance of this person in Jessica's life. Yes, that would be Khalil White. She met him on the train going to work, and it, you know, things moved fast with them. She fell in love, and she went to go live with him, and we didn't really see her for those two years. This story is not unique. We heard something very similar when we talked to Megan Waterman's sister. So what happened here is Jessica Taylor met a guy and fell in love with him. This was her boyfriend. And suddenly she's getting coerced and manipulated into getting into sex work. And that's how it starts. So Remy or Khalil White, yes, he was Jessica's boyfriend, but he was also her pimp. You know, they woo them, they they treat them all nice and everything, buy them all this stuff. And a lot of these girls are coming from vulnerable positions in life. So it's easy. You want love. You want to feel safe. You want to feel com- comforted. And here's this person willing to do all of this and take care of you. And then before you know it, everything's flipped upside down. And Jessica eventually realized the situation she was in and she wanted out. She wanted to break up with Khalil and she didn't want to be involved in sex work anymore. I know that I don't trust him. I've had minimal conversation with him. And I know that she wanted to get away from him. She was trying to get out of the life that she was in. And I know that for a fact. And from everything that I've learned so far through working on this case and people that I've tracked down myself, she was trying to come home. She wanted to change her life. And unfortunately, that didn't get to happen. So back in 2003, when the police began investigating this case, obviously using this tattoo as a lead, this Remy person, Cleo White, as we know him to be now, is definitely someone they were going to want to investigate. So investigators released a photo of the reconstructed tattoo to the public, hoping someone might identify it. Meanwhile, Jessica had been reported missing, and eventually investigators pieced things together, In the missing person's report, Jessica's tattoo was noted, and it was a match to that tattoo of the victim that was found in Manorville. Jasmine still remembers what it was like to get the news that somebody had murdered her cousin. I remember finding out what happened to her, because it wasn't that long that we had to wait to find out. 
um, they identified her pretty quickly and we knew before it was public. Um, and that was really hard. It's still really hard to swallow because you don't think that anything like that's ever going to happen to anybody close to you. You know, that's something you see on TV or, you know, you read about. It's not something that you think is going to hit so close to home. When Jessica's family learned that she had been murdered, their mind went to the obvious place that Jessica had been murdered by Khalil White, her pimp. At the time, prior to her murder, she was terrified of Khalil White and she was trying to get out of that relationship. So it seemed to make the most sense. But then for seven years, there was no movement and no answers in Jessica's case. But that all changed, as we know, in 2010. And that news, the news of the discoveries that had been made on Gilgo Beach, was another, you know, painful thing for Jessica's family to have to comprehend and digest. And I remember um, being 18 at work. Um, maybe I was 19. And that was when they had found her skull. <clears throat> and that was very hard. And that was hard because the possibility that Jessica's life had been taken by a serial killer was not really at the top of the list as far as what they presumed to have happened. Well, like I said, we, we were all under the impression that it was her pimp. So for those that amount of time, I had spent so long thinking that it was just that I knew what had happened to entertain, you know, and realize that there was something else out there that could have happened. That was a tough pill to swallow. So then it made my brain spin even more. So I just always lived under the assumption that he did it. And then, you know, in, when in 2010, it, it opened up, I guess, a new realm of possibilities. Like, okay, maybe this could be connected to something even bigger. So as far as the police investigation and how they may or may not have cleared Cleo White, we don't know. I mean, the police haven't made their investigation public, but... We do believe that he has been, quote unquote, cleared. According to Jasmine, Jessica had left him two weeks before she was murdered, approximately. So there are still so many question marks about him and what he knows and how he could be connected or not connected at all. And we're just going to have to wait and see. Now, let's zoom out and discuss how Jessica's case plays into the list case at large. Since Jessica's remains were close to the Gilgo Four and she shared a lot of characteristics with Lisk's other victims, it's thought that Jessica was most likely a victim of the Long Island serial killer. Right. And we also know that remains of Jessica's that were found in Manorville in 2003 were very close to where the remains of Valerie Mack were found. And just like with Valerie Mack, Jessica Taylor also had remains discovered on Gilgo Beach near the rest of the victims. So very compelling arguments that obviously these are all connected. Right. And you could probably make a pretty compelling argument that the Long Island serial killer is actually two different people. But like Lex said, it's clear that Jessica and Valerie were victims of the same murderer. And oddly enough, Valerie used the alias Melissa Taylor during her sex work, which was obviously eerily similar to Jessica Taylor, but that was just a coincidence. And the two women weren't related or connected in any way. So in 2010, 2011, when the Long Island serial killer was discovered, when all of these victims were found, naturally there was a media explosion. And Jasmine 
had to read articles that she felt were really distasteful in the way these victims' lives were framed. Oh, 100%. I will say the media has, you know, improved a little bit in that matter. You know, that now they call them sex workers and they try to, I feel like, humanize these victims a little bit more than they did. But in the beginning, it was awful. It was brutal what you would see. You know, she, there's, there's one article about Jessica and it said she lived her life as a hooker. Excuse me? It, it just... It's disgusting that anybody in good conscience could even write something like that. Jessica's life was senselessly taken when she was just 20 years old. That's before you're even legally allowed to drink, get a rental car, get a hotel room, before you become an adult, before you become a fully developed person. It's horrific. It's unfair. And beyond Jessica needing justice, so does her family. It's extremely frustrating. Um, This year is very profound just because it's 20 years and that's how long she got to be alive. So it, um, it hits, I feel like pretty hard knowing that we're still pretty much in the dark. I want people to know that she was full of spunk. She was full of life and she was incredibly loved. I feel like if she was still here, I picture her as some amazing social worker or just like a boss ass woman, you know? Um, And I think that people need to let go of whatever assumptions that they may have. Until the Long Island serial killer is caught, Jessica's family and the families of all of the other victims associated with this case are just left to spin their wheels and wonder, go down rabbit holes and miss their loved ones and wonder what they would be doing with their lives if they were still here. For now, all we have the ability to do really is keep asking questions, keep pressure on law enforcement, and keep saying these people's names. These victims were human beings with lives and loved ones. And Jasmine wants to encourage, as we do, everyone to continue to keep the memories of these women alive. And of course, advocate for the human rights of sex workers all over the country, which means supporting and donating to organizations like SWAP, the Sex Workers Outreach Project. And I love the organization that you guys are donating those. I looked into them and I just, I think that's so beautiful because it's so important. It needs to be normalized and there needs to be help and actual resources out there. Instead of just arresting these people and and putting them in prison, you don't want to help them. If you wanted to help them, you would help them. So I, I think it's a really great thing you guys are doing. Well, you empathize with the victims. You see, even when they don't come from a perfect life, that that doesn't mean that they deserved it or that their families deserve it. You know, you just you guys have such an understanding about it. And I really respect the way that you work. And that's why I chose to speak with you today, because I've had other people ask me before. And I just I didn't really know much about them. But because I've listened to your stuff and I know. I felt really comfortable doing this. And I also, I believe that we have to keep saying their names. And I just, I'm grateful that somebody else wants to say their name. It's one of the largest active serial killer cases in the country. And yet there's people who live in New York that don't even know about it. So it's, it's pretty wild. Jasmine's right. And for all of you listening, if you're into true crime, obviously you listening know who the Long Island serial killer is and you know about this case, but not everybody does, believe it or not. So 
The purpose of what we're doing with these episodes over the course of 10 weeks, the purpose of the Heavy Metal Project is literally to continue the forward momentum in this case, continue educating people who don't know about the case, continue educating people who don't know the names of these victims. We have to keep the ball rolling, even though it feels like we're pushing a boulder up a hill, we've got to do it. And Jasmine, thank you so much for being candid and for speaking with us today. Thank you for sharing your memories of Jessica, the kind of person she was. And thank you for helping us demand justice for your cousin because she needs to get it. And so do you. And everyone listening, make sure to check out the amazing work that SWAP is doing. And the purpose of the Heavy Metal Project is to help support SWAP in their incredible endeavors. So please check out theheavymetalproject.com to support sex workers' human rights. If you have any information about the Long Island serial killer, please contact the Suffolk County Crime Stoppers at 1-800-220-TIPS. There's a $50,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest. Once again, thank you to Jasmine and thank you all for listening.